Welcome to Clean Integration, a Saluna podcast. Bitcoin, crypto, and batchable computing, could they be the keys to scaling the renewable sector? I sit down with experts to discuss the path to renewables and making them the primary and most affordable energy source. I'm John Belazier, CEO of Saluna, and your host. Welcome to this bonus episode, and thank you for tuning in. If you've read the news lately or even quickly skimmed the headlines, you've seen the madness concerning FTX and the growing skepticism of the crypto industry at large. The collapse of FTX and other firms this year, bolstered by concerns of crypto mining strain on the world's resources, there have been many misunderstandings, it seems especially as it relates to Bitcoin. Recently, you may have heard me say Bitcoin is not crypto, and I'm not alone in this thought. Many thought leaders and Bitcoiners have taken to Twitter and op-eds to expand on this thought. I'll link a few of my favorite ones in the show notes. Bitcoin is not crypto, at least not the version of crypto FTX was built on. And what does that mean, you're probably thinking? Well, I'm joined today by colleagues Dip Patel, CTO of Saluna and Philip Young, Vice President of Corporate Development at Saluna. We're going to discuss what's going on in the market, try our best to clarify a few things, and help you, our listeners, understand how and why Bitcoin is not crypto. I'm excited to jump in. Dip, Phil, welcome to the show. Hey, what's going on, guys? Uh, it's good to be here, man. It's uh... It's been a while, huh? We haven't done this in a while. We're going to link some of our early day open conversation forums like this in the early version of our podcast, uh, originally known as uh, The Kingdom. And here we are, what is it, a couple of years later, almost two full years. COVID makes it strange, right? Because there's like this time warp where, you know, last year is either 2021 or 2018 at the same time, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's it weird. So we're going to talk a lot about what's happening in the market, uh, you know, our perspectives, and more, more importantly, you know, how does this all relate to Bitcoin? So let's get started. First things first, you know, what the heck happened? You know, we woke up one day and there were suspicious, you know, Twitter threads, drama, and finally a collapse. You know, how would you explain the FTX situation to a novice? Why don't you go first, Phil? Yeah, so I, I, I would explain it as winding back further to set the scene, you know, 2020, you have COVID um, and what's followed is the most incredible economic stimulus and monetary stimulus that we've seen, you know, in history. Mm -hmm. So um, the financial crisis in 08, the conclusion, the criticism that policymakers took away was that they did not do enough quick enough to really stave off the economic malaise that followed. So in contrast, uh, in 2020, you have something that's slightly different. You have a event that's not, um, uh, it's not political. There's no one to blame, you know, it's just a, 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 a pandemic. And so there was a lot of support to, to put a lot of capital into the system. Um, the, the, the repeated theme was let's overshoot, not undershoot. And so, uh, what you see is an incredible expansion of money supply an incredible amount of money going into people's pockets and a real euphoria, um, in all asset classes from real estate, crypto, um, 
traditional businesses. And as a result, as what frequently happens and you know what we talked about two years ago or three years ago now when we were in the last crypto winter, um, the crypto economy is happy to manufacture as many financial products as people will buy. And so you see the rise of projects like Luna, uh, which are really nonsensical. Like we're going to pay you 20% APR uh, to deposit your money with us. It's just not uh, a realistic uh, for a demand deposit when interest rates are at zero. Um, and you see these other lending platforms come out um, and really come into a big way, supplemented with a large number of retail investors who are pushing money into these platforms. And similar to how the financial crisis happens, inevitably what happens is these firms are lending money back and forth to each other um, and it creates a systematic risk. And so in May, when it was clear that the Fed was gonna begin in interest rate rising and enter into a period of discipline, a lot of that liquidity began to dissipate. So what you actually see is the first domino to fall is Luna and Terra, that project. And then that was followed by a series of other projects, Three Arrows um, and uh, Celsius, and then, and then a, a variety of others that have followed mm -hmm. since then. Through the whole episode, you have FTX sitting on the sidelines and they're really looking like sort of this really sophisticated player. They're bailing out players. SBF is talking about risk management and how his background in, um, you know, these exotic or specialized hedge funds is going to really uh, allow him to navigate these waters. And people are calling him sort of uh, the JP Morgan of crypto, like able to bail out people in a time of economic uncertainty. Rewind or fast forward to about a month ago, and, and suddenly what you see is, I mean, mostly what I saw it on first was the Twitter sphere. You see rumors about FTX having problems, withdrawals. Uh, SBF, the CEO of FTX, gets in a, a fight with the CEO of Binance. Um, and then suddenly there's this run um, on the FTX token. And then, you know, literally within, I think, 72 hours later, FTX has announced that they are being acquired by Binance as a move to save depositors. And then 24 hours after that, that deal's dead. And, um, you know, uh, FTX is headed for bankruptcy. And that's sort of where we're at today. Yeah, that, that's a great tour. I mean, I think the... If I play that back, what you basically said is you have this huge sort of global event, right? The pandemic, it brings the global economy to a screeching halt to help address that massive amounts of uh, quantitative support comes into the system. Essentially, governments print lots of money. That money goes into the economy, lands in people's hands, and they're looking for places where they can, you know, generate returns on it, right? It's like free money. You want to not just party with it, but you want to maybe invest it in some things to to turn it into money. And I remember lots of interesting memes showing up on the social media where people would, you know, throw money under under a, a, a door and more money comes out kind of thing. 
And as has been said in hard times, you know, new businesses get formed and all these new types of businesses get formed to provide yield and returns because, you know, that's what people are looking for. And a number of these companies get formed and suddenly fast forward a couple of years later, you're having some very massive collapsing of these companies because of the intertwining nature, interrelated nature of the transactions they were doing. And people start to raise questions as to whether, you know, the structures of those businesses were sound and whether there was some fraudulent activity happening in that space. And I have to say, this sounds, this looks very familiar <laughs> to where we were four years ago, 2018, we were launching a business and there was a collapse in the crypto space and there was just a, just a lot of weird stuff happening. Don't you remember that uh, dip? Yeah, absolutely. You know, like, uh, well... As Phil mentioned, right, when times are good, uh, <laughs> it seems like any product out there, people think they're a genius, they pat their back, they pat their own back, you know, and they make a lot of money. And I'm on a bunch of crypto chats and uh, subreddits and Twitter like Phil, and it was just exactly like he said, right? You know, you kind of see the signals pop in these like really interesting communities and it's like, hey, what's going on over here? Something doesn't make sense. And then you kind of see it slowly catch fire. And like, I think back then when things started going bad for companies, it took, even though the companies were smaller, it took, it took a, a longer time, mm. you know, to, to kind of see these things happen. Like with FTX, they raised so much money so fast, right? Mm -hmm. And then it exploded. Like some could say, all right, it's, it, you know, if you were paying attention, the fraud was obvious, but a lot of smart people were paying attention. It looked like, <laughs> and man, he, they did yep. a good job of hiding it evidently. Right? right. I mean, these are not dumb funds, the people that invested in, in FTX. So the question is how did all these diligence people right. miss this? Right. And you know, happy go lucky Sam over here, Sam SBF, I call him, is his name Sam, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, happy-go-lucky happy SBF, you know, he, uh, he plays this like semi-dumb, oh, shucks. Yeah, he can't, it's just, I'm a nerd. Yeah. It's such a joke. Come on. Like, and you know, it's, I think it's driven by, uh, well, these, the other thing that these crypto chats were is like, everyone's a genius investor, hmm. right? Oh, look what I did. Uh, you know, this, this token, I made 20% last week. Oh, I made more this year trading crypto than I do at my real job. Maybe I'll just quit. And I'm like, oh, this stinks like day trading when I was in high school. And like, there were these people who just could make a couple hundred bucks, a thousand bucks a day and thought, you know, it's easy peasy. They figured it out. And, uh, you know, everyone thought that they were, they were the next genius. And, right. you know, I still have money tied up in Ethereum too, staking. Right. <laughs> I don't know if I'll ever see that money again. So I'm not right. immune either. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny because, uh, you know, there seems to be a pattern. This isn't the first, you know, crypto winter or, you know, crypto frost that's happening. And, you know, I wonder if there are, uh, you know, lessons to be learned from, you know, these collapses and what just a general downturn in the industry means more broadly for the industry, you know. I have a perspective. I don't want to taint you guys, but, you know, working backwards, you know, how would you describe like to a potential new investor who is saying, nah, I'm not going to invest in this thing anymore. This is, this is all charlatan. Probably the same investor <laughs> that said that four years ago. 
and you know came back into the market what's the next market going to look like what what should people expect and what do you say to them that that should be learned here i'll start with you Dave. yeah i mean i think if you rewind back the clock to 2018 mm. and you think about where bitcoin crypto flexible data centers are from now till then uh, it, it is it is almost uh, incredible, actually, how much progress has been made uh, through mm -hmm. the cycle. So the cycle is the noise and the signal is what's transpired over the last mm -hmm. four years. So you have, um, you know, virtually every major investing platform has access to Bitcoin now. So you can anyone can own Bitcoin, at least in the United States, if they choose to do so. I remember in 2018, if you tried to wire money to Coinbase to fund your account, certain financial institutions would just reject the wire because they didn't want to be, you know, facilitating crypto transactions. Now you can buy crypto on Robinhood, interactive brokers, you name it, you can mm -hmm. trade it. Uh, so, so accessibility has increased immensely, uh, both on the purchasing side and on the payment side, if you want to pay in crypto. On the data center side, you know, uh, when we were fundraising in 2018, a lot of our initial pitch was what is Bitcoin? What is crypto? What is, what are these things, basic concepts? Right. Now I would say, while people may not claim to be experts in this thing, everyone is fairly fluent in what a digital currency is, what the difference between blockchain and cryptocurrency is, those yeah. kind of things. So there's a basic understanding in, in the corporate conscious that, that, exists beyond that um if you narrow into our side of the universe you know these tier zero data centers billions of dollars has been raised to pursue this you know something like five billion dollars was deployed in 2021 to pursue the thesis of flexible data centers focused on crypto and other types of tasks and it's um it's definitely going to be a thing it's going to be part of the uh, energy market large utilities are designing programs to allow for this type of load. Uh, power producers are thinking about how they can build renewable assets with this, uh, with this type of load to improve their economics. Mm -hmm. And of course, we would be remiss to, to not talk about the impact of um, the infrastructure bill and how much of an explosion intermittent generation will be in the United States over the next 30 years and how important flexible loads will be to, to part of solving that problem. So if you look overall, taking out the boom bust cycle, it, 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 it really looks like an industry that's maturing, adapting, being adopted and, and will persist. And I think the next question that follows from that is what changes need to be made to the business models uh, to sort of allow for returns to shareholders, which hasn't been accomplished by many firms yet. Yeah, no, I think that's a great perspective. I mean, I, w I would add that, you know, that maturity accelerates every cycle. I think that the, the point you made about ubiquity of knowledge around the space is clear. Mainstream media really talks about this stuff as it's just a thing now, right? I remark around the fact that, you know, now when you look at the stock tickers, they also show you the big the big cryptos, right? They show you Bitcoin price <laughs> in the ticker because it's just part of the financial system at this point, which is, which the fact that it's, 
you know, less than 15 years old is pretty impressive for the technology to have achieved that level. I agree that the the business models are evolving. You know, there's lots of interesting things that have been tried here over the last few years, everything from tokenization V1, tokenization V2 to, you know, decentralized exchanges to traditional exchanges, but all, all digital assets <laughs> and the dangers uh, with lack of regulation, all of that, I think, is going to culminate into maturing uh, more involvement by the government to regulate the aspects of crypto that are more attuned to uh, securities and looking at the things like Bitcoin, for example, that is generally perceived, you know, by at least the SEC as as a as a commodity, is a technology that has a tremendous amount of potential, and you know, I, I think. It's important to say that you know Bitcoin is is not crypto. It's important for folks to understand this now, probably more than ever, uh, to decouple Bitcoin from the broader, seemingly negative crypto discourse. And um, I think that the question is, people want to understand like what makes Bitcoin different from or more than crypto. How would you respond to that, Tib? Uh yeah, that's you know, uh, <laughs> I'm giggling a little because. You know, there's always these pundits. You know, not, I don't know if that's the right word, but there's these critics who's like, oh, you know, but Bitcoin is slow. It's like, no kidding. Every single new technology has massive problems. Plasma TVs, when they came out, were like 50 grand and had burn in in two hours, right? And they got super hot and consumed a kilowatt. There were so many issues, right? But now they're $20. You get a 60 inch TV that's LCD, right? Um, and I think with Bitcoin, what I always say is that it's water, right? When it comes to there's all these beverages out there. There's beer, there's wine, there's juice, there's tea, there's, you know, matcha, there's all this great stuff. And they all have their value, right? And they all present some difference that water lacks, flavor, caffeine, whatever, right? But they all come at a cost. And usually that cost is either centralization in the name of... Uh, creating quote unquote efficiency and energy use. Right. Right. Or it's uh or it's through um so it's either centralization or it's through some other random value proposition that has nothing to do with speed, right? Uh like NFTs or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when it comes to Bitcoin, the reason it's so awesome and the reason it's unique and the reason that it is, in my opinion, the only true deployment of what blockchain is supposed to be is that it's decentralized by physics, right? Not through trusting a human being. And almost every other one of these, uh, these new, uh, sent, like call them uh, proof of uh, stake style coins or these coins that, or these other applications of blockchain mm -hmm. in uh, for cryptocurrency, mm -hmm. you're effectively creating a bank. You're just trusting a different group of people. Right. And I mean, literally everybody has lost their mind, right? Elon, Kanye. So it's like, who can you trust to not lose their mind when they when they achieve a billion dollars or insane amounts of money? Everybody does, except energy use. <laughs> it's pretty straightforward. So when you look at Bitcoin, it's physics and math that drive it. It's exceptionally well understood. And just like water, it's got flaws, but none of those flaws are toxic or fundamental problems right uh they're just limitations in water that can be fixed in other ways and lightning network is a really good example of a way of speeding up bitcoin 
with a limited amount of centralization, right? Because you're you're now operating on a set of exchanges or a set of participants, you know, but it's still basically decentralized. There's no SBF and his group of buddies, <laughs> you know, pulling the strings behind the scenes. All my Ethereum 2 that I staked is locked up right now. Right. How is that cool, right? <laughs> right like right. Who, who, who decided <laughs> that? Because there was a decision maker, right? And there was, you know, for the most part. And, that's right. Um, yeah. so that's why I like Bitcoin better. Yeah. You know, it's just simple to understand. It's the same code, effectively, as when it came out. Yeah, there was a, and they they attack it the same way. <laughs> it's always the same same three things: it's speed, it's energy use, and it's a uh, lack of uh, what do they call a uh, lack of value in and of mm-hmm. itself, right? Mm-hmm. Tangible value, lack of tangible value, as if gold has tangible value. Yeah, you know, I I, I yeah. think that there was a recent Bitcoin Magazine opinion piece that came out by Tim Emeyer. He uh, summed it up really well. He said, you know, the ov- overwhelming problem with the cryptocurrency sphere, and that is defined as everything other than Bitcoin, is that it's still largely based on an expectation of trust, as you were saying, Dip, right? You know, whether it's FTX, Celsius, Luna, what, <laughs> you name it, lots of projects in the space. You know, there's just countless other scams out there and Ponzi's that are sewn into the fabric of the cryptocurrency industry. Um, continuing to quote him, it's clear that having centralized entities controlling your value requires you trust the valuable seamstresses <laughs> and their incentives. End quote. So, I mean, he's basically saying that, you know, as much as these are Web3 and supposed to be decentralized, they're very much centralized in their design and. And that, and that's probably why you know there's all this this potential for schemes or scams to be incorporated into the into the design, if you will. Phil, you spent you spend time with uh, IPPs and power plant owners as you know, focusing on a lot of our origination work. And I know you you, you made mention of a conversation you had with one that has, did sort of a first principles look at the space and said, you know, what should we believe about this space now? And its relationship to Bitcoin and the potential for this to address, you know, our wasted energy problems. Could you share a bit about, you know, what, what that, how that conversation went? Yeah. I, I, so I was catching up with an IPP. This is literally two days after FTX yeah. um, blew up. And, you know, you're looking at a 25% decline in asset prices when the overall S&P is surging like 6% on that day. And, you know, the conversation was, hey, are you guys still in the game? Do you still want to do this? The answer is yes. And they said, and how do you look at all this FTX stuff that's happening? And, you know, what we what we have said and what our perspective is, is, you know, we're monetizing energy with compute. It starts with Bitcoin. We want to go into other avenues, um, HPC over time. But in the near term, it's Bitcoin. And, um, Bitcoin is unaffected. Uh, Bitcoin still consumes, um, you know, needs needs gigawatts of power to secure the network. Uh, we would like that power to be green. We would like to use power that couldn't otherwise be sold. And, uh, you know, for this demand to go to zero, literally everyone would have to stop using this. And I think that's um, that's really not the future of the asset class. I think if anything, the shakeout is as as dip was trying to make the argument for was making the argument for just now is if anything the shakeout is is separating the 
true core hard technologies from sort of the fly by night stuff around it. And so, you know, our, our thought was, look, this is Bitcoin. If you guys think Bitcoin's going somewhere, mm -hmm. then you need to reevaluate. If you don't, um, then we should try to move forward. And the sense that we got from them was they said, yeah, we think Bitcoin is still going to be around. And it was a helpful, it was a helpful context. Um, so they don't, you know, it was surprising to hear these guys who I wouldn't describe as crypto. technologists, uh, in that regard, or, by any or, means that saying, or, you know, or crypto bros, <laughs> crypto bros, you know, they're saying, yeah, I don't think Bitcoin's going anywhere. It's part of the, it's part of the consciousness. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now Bitcoin consumes a lot of energy and we know this, we've talked about the Bitcoin energy debate at great length across our podcast, blog and white papers. And, you know, I'll link some of those in the show notes for our listeners, too. But briefly, can you explain why Bitcoin is so energy intensive, Dip? Yeah, um, basically because it's designed to be, right? Uh, basically, it does math. The idea is you solve this puzzle and, you know, the puzzle is as difficult as it takes all the computers trying to solve it, mm -hmm. 10 minutes. So the more computers that come online, the more... Uh, difficult the puzzle, mm -hmm. right? And the more difficult the puzzle, the more energy it takes to solve it. Now you solve that energy problem by making more efficient chips, but that doesn't solve the problem here because it just gives people more computers, <laughs> right? So it's still an arms race. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it's a, but what it does do is create a tremendous amount of security because the only way to influence the Bitcoin network is if you get 51% of that power of that computing uh, under your kind of control, because then you can start doing whatever you want. And uh, there were times when we started this company where some of these exchanges were getting pretty close. It was scary. <laughs> I remember there was some, you know, but then uh, uh, a bunch of really cool companies um, here in America actually started uh, and created new exchange, uh, not exchanges, uh, pools. And um, it allowed central, uh, more decentralization. And so, now what's happened is Bitcoin, the energy use has grown because the puzzle is so complicated, but the value of Bitcoin has grown so much that if it didn't consume this much energy, it would be worth it for a government to go get 51% of the network, right? So if the, if the Bitcoin network only required $100 billion, right, to, uh, to kind of get 51% of the network, then you could go raise that money. Right. And like deploy a hundred billion in cash and take control of a of a trillion dollar market. Mm. Right. But Bitcoin network requires energy and and it needs chips. Those are things that money itself isn't enough. You need lots of time. You need connections. You need contracts with IPPs like Phil has been describing. And what this creates is a highly resilient, decentralized uh, network that is really hard to get 51% of, which makes the network effectively unhackable. I mean, we saw China shut down 30% of the network, mm -hmm. right? And there were no major hacks. There was no issues. And in three months, the network was back to full strength. And to me, if that isn't elegant, I don't know what is. And then using, as we've talked about so much, using that energy use as a feature, right? The only one that hurts is oil. <laughs> so like there's... They're, like if you really think about it, the only one that it hurts to use Bitcoin as 
as uh, the, the solution for this curtailment problem with green energy mm-hmm. is big banks and oil. <laughs> so it's mm. like maybe we should pay attention to the uh, the critics a little closer and who's who's back in the critics, you know? Exactly. I mean, we see Bitcoin's energy use as an opportunity to address, I guess, two two critical problems, slowing the growth of, of clean energy development and adoption, wasted energy and grid inflexibility. How would you describe Bitcoin solving these problems, Phil? How, what's what's your pitch to renewable energy developers, power plant owners? How do you position, you know, building a Bitcoin data center co-located with their facilities, and 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 how it addresses their issues? Yeah, so it it it's pretty simple. Um, when you produce power, you need to sell power, and you can sell it to basically three options. Most conventionally, you sell it to the grid through the grid. Um, to users uh, on the grid system. Uh, uh, renewable assets are challenged in so far as um, their generation co-varies. And so if you have zero marginal cost, when you're bidding at zero, everybody else is bidding at zero. And what happens is there's a rush of renewable energy that tries to get on the grid all at once. It has no not enough users to, 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 to fully absorb that amount. And so um, as much as a third of renewable energy, you know, can be wasted in depending on the season and, and the geography that we're talking about. And so that is a tremendous untapped resource and it is a tremendous drag on financial returns to uh, renewable power plants. Um, to solve that problem, you could uh, you could sell that electricity uh, to something locally, mm-hmm. um, or you could put it into a battery. Batteries have some technology challenges. Um, selling it locally right now, we believe data centers are the best customer. They're energy dense. Um, they're very hun- uh, hungry for power, and there's such a demand for that. And specifically within the category of data centers, we're talking about Bitcoin as your customer. The reason being, it is a much less complicated customer to manage and is much more tolerant to variability in production, which is to say, if you're willing to provide security to the network, you will be paid as long as you're securing the network. And as soon as you stop, you'll stop being paid. And that's just mm-hmm. fine, uh, fine for the network. So Really, the benefit and the value proposition of Bitcoin as a customer is it is your beachhead customer that doesn't care where you are, what your latency is, what your uptime is, what your availability is. As long as you're on, they'll pay you. You don't need a contract. You don't need a sales cycle. Uh, And then when you have the infrastructure built, the idea is you can go backwards and replace that with other customers over time. That's great. I can see why our pipeline is is has grown the the, the way it has. <laughs> I think we hit the main topics here. I, I want to shift to our our lightning round, sort of taking a view of the future. What prediction for the coming year would you like to see? Would you love to see? I I would say, and it could be anything. Um, but particularly around this whole crypto space and Bitcoin space, what would you like to see, Dip? I'd like to see more um, Bitcoin deployments that scale their power on and off, right, to meet the needs of green energy sites. A lot of, lot of lip service there, JB. It'd be nice to see more deployments of it. Yeah. Phil, how about you? 
Um, I would like to see the industry as a whole be more honest and transparent about their carbon footprint and their scope one and two emissions. Mm. Um, so, you know, there's some narratives out there that you need a flexible load. So it's okay if you're consuming dirty power right. or cleaner power is better than more dirty power. Uh, I think getting people's arms around how much the carbon footprint is, especially for these public companies and um, how much of, of it is zero carbon energy, uh, just more transparency around that and more of a cohesive view from the industry of what's right for the planet. That That's probably, um, I think the the intellectual rigor that we still haven't fully seen uh, in, in, in the space. That's great. I, I'll throw mine in to the, to the pot here for 2023. I'd definitely like to see m- more integration with, uh, with renewable energy, greenfield and brownfield projects where more data centers are deployed and they're flexible in design. And I think the second thing I would say is just, you know, an awakening from the enterprise that uh, sustainable IT can be achieved by this approach, you know, putting computing close to renewable energy and integrating it in this very specific way where it's, you know, at those areas where there's lots of wasted energy to catalyze more of that energy to be built, but also to catalyze a wave of more green computing being coming available for all of these incredible uh, applications and AI and all of these, you know, these big sort of data oriented uh, uses of computing that today one might argue subsidize fossil fuels because they're living in 24 by seven facilities. If we can put them in these um, modular flexible facilities, we can solve so many problems all at once. It's kind of like a trifecta of, of interesting innovation that could change the world. That's what I'd like to see uh, happen in 2023. Well, gents, uh, thanks so much for popping in. Uh, we'd love to see you uh, here more often. We haven't seen each other on the show and chatted on the show in a while, even though we, we chat each other all the time on business, but this is always fun. Thanks for coming. Thank you. So Take happy to be here. Yeah, it's, it's fun. Totally fun. Enjoy. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. You can find more information on what you've heard today in our show notes. To join our growing community, connect with us on LinkedIn by searching for Saluna and following our corporate page. Or tag us on Twitter. We're at Saluna Holdings. To learn more about Saluna and our innovative projects, visit our website at salunacomputing.com. And visit our blog, Clean Integration on Medium. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. It helps boost us in the charts and others to find us. Thank you for listening to Clean Integration, a Saluna podcast. And remember, computing is a better battery. See you next time.